This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They didn't do anything different from what we expected, but uh, they played a lot harder. We weren't good enough. Like I said, our guys got to be ready to play more competitive hockey than we played tonight. So they did a good job. They played a great game. We weren't competitive enough, and we didn't work hard enough to get inside of them. And so overall, they played a harder game. Golden Edge podcast time, everybody. We're coming at you again. I know we just talked to you the other day, but we're picking it up. It's the playoffs. It is the Game 1 edition, band. Game 1 in the books. We're talking to you about oh, 30 minutes or so after the game wrapped, uh, breaking down the initial thoughts on what went on in Game 1. Thanks for listening, first of all, and comment, share, like everything you do with podcasts with us. And thanks for listening once again. Ben, first, how are you doing? Well, I'm definitely hyped up. This first day of the NHL playoffs was awesome. We had four games that were decided by one goal. And then we had this game. Yeah. Knights versus the Sharks was not decided by one goal. Sharks come away with the 5-2 victory, Adam. And I thought this game was intriguing on a number of levels, mainly because a lot of the keys that we had for the Golden Knights come into the series were not executed. So the result in that aspect was kind of expected. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, if you would have said how the game was going to play out, you would kind of be able to guess the score of this game. I mean, the Golden Knights didn't do the things that they wanted to do in the series. They didn't get any kind of pressure whatsoever on Martin Jones. They let it, they made the game very easy for him, let him sit back. They wanted to stay out of the penalty box. They didn't do that. They were uh, in there. They were almost, it was almost like the penalty box was like a suite at a luxury hotel that they just wanted to go hang out in all the time. They were there all night. And, you know, that was certainly a big factor as well. Uh, and they let the Sharks be physical with them and, and you know, kind of punch them back in the face. And, you know, th- that was – they weren't able to get any kind of physical advantage on the Sharks. So, like, everything that they wanted to kind of do, they weren't able to do. And the Sharks looked healthy. They looked as potent as ever. Uh, their blue line is unbelievable. We know the skill on paper. And we saw it in action tonight as everybody was healthy and, and they played really well. A lot of things went very badly for the Golden Knights tonight. The positive side, it's only one game. But if they don't do some things to change up what what happened tonight, they're not going to have a whole lot of opportunity in the series. It would be a short series. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you saw was really the Sharks pushing back. Pete DeBoer had a quote like, hey, this is the team that knocked us out of the playoffs last year. And that's a great motivator for our team to come out and play hard. And that's what they did. I mean, 42 hits for the Sharks in the opening game of the series. Now, 41 for the Knights, and they were hitting back. But as we kind of mentioned, that's not necessarily a good thing for the Knights to get into kind of a a fist fight here with the Sharks. They can't trade penalties. That is a math battle that they will lose. The Sharks have the sixth best power play in the NHL. And as we saw tonight, they're also pretty good in a number of other situations. They scored four on four tonight. They scored three on three tonight. Basically, any situation not five on five, the Sharks were kind of in control. So the Knights need to stick to five on five as much as possible. 
They had the 25th best power play in the NHL. They can't match the Sharks power play for power play. If they do that, I don't think they're going to win this series. Well, you mentioned the impressive numbers by the Sharks on the power play. And uh, as you said, one was a power play goal. They had the, the different situational goals as well. Uh, but that, those numbers are gaudy without Eric Carlson for much of the year. And Eric Carlson, one of the more dangerous power play guys you're going to find, uh, they were still able to uh, put up those numbers without him out on the ice for for long stretches. So they are very, very dangerous uh, in those situations. And the Knights just allowed it to happen far too often tonight. And they won't be able to do that going forward uh, if they want to be competitive in this series. But again, it is one game. Uh, it's a game that the Golden Knights are, you would think, want to forget, but they're also going to have to look at and see what they did wrong, what they have to do better. And that starts with absolutely doing more to make Martin Jones uncomfortable. It, it was, it's already a bad start to the series because, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game and it, and it is one game and it was home ice for the Sharks and they held serve is basically what happened. But I think one of the key factors was to get in Martin Jones' head. Martin Jones had been pulled four of the 13 games against the Golden Knights. He had been asked about it a, a bunch. So he, you know, it was, it should have kind of been in his head a little bit. His struggles this year are well documented. We know the numbers that he put up. You know, I've, I've said this stat a couple of times, but among the 16 starting goaltenders in the playoffs, he was last in a whole bunch of the categories, Not great. Inc- including save percentage and goals against the really important ones. Uh, he was, he was dead last in among playoff goaltenders. So what they wanted to do is get a goal early, get a couple of goals early, get in his head, you know, make him work. Even even if you're not scoring, you know, make give give up some rebounds that are real dangerous and just get in his head and make him think about it. They did none of that. It was 10 shots in the first two periods, one goal, but really not a whole lot of, you know, plays that he had to think about. It was just a lot of real easy saves and not generating any kind of dangerous opportunities in front of him. No, I think they kind of let him sit back and get into a rhythm. You mentioned only 10 shots on goal for this guy in the first two periods. He had a ton of time to kind of get situated into the playoffs to kind of take a deep breath and calm and collect himself. And so you saw him make some very impressive saves, I thought, toward the end of this game. The Knights actually had a pretty good third period. They made a push. They didn't really ever get the score close, but they were put up 16 shots on goal in that third period. So Jones was more active, but at that point it really seemed like he was settled in and he was ready to make some saves for his team to close out this game. He denied Riley safe, Riley Smith, sorry, in from real close made a really good save on him. He had a number of nice saves there in the third period to deny the golden Knights from getting this game closer. The Knights entered the third period down four one. And of course, and the game for five two, and I think that's the key. When you allow him to have two periods to just kind of sit back and watch the game and watch his team put up four goals and be ahead four to one, that makes it much easier when he does have to make plays and he does have to make saves to make them with that confidence, knowing, hey, even if I make one mistake, we're still up two goals, we'll still be okay. That that just provided a lot of confidence, and he is a guy that's done it in the past, so he has that confidence in him. When he finds it, it's there, and he can play really well. And I thought. Uh, that's that's kind of what happened. He was able to settle in because of the way they played in the first two periods and and really shut down the Knights when he had to late in the game. And the Knights don't want to be chasing games. They talked about that. They don't want to be behind and trying to chase down the Sharks. And they were, you know, right away in that first period, even though the, the Sharks didn't score early on, they they were the better team for most of the first period. They got rewarded with a very weird goal. Uh, as very the, painful goal. A very painful goal. If you're Joe Pavelski. The puck was, uh, it looked like it was sailing sailing high of the net. It was going to go over. Uh, not even a play the floor would have had to make. And then Pavelski right in front of the net on the power play, it just hits his head and bounces in like he's a, a World Cup player uh, on a header right in front uh, off a corner kick or something. So 
that's a, that's the kind of goal that you get when you're controlling the action. I think sometimes, and when you know, if even if some of the good shots weren't going in, you put enough pressure and you get opportunities, and that's what we talk about. The Knights not doing, not getting in front of the net, not creating traffic, not putting pressure. Uh, when you don't do those things, you're not going to find those goals. The Sharks found one, and they got rewarded for their first period with that kind of fluky goal. Yeah, sometimes you just throw the puck on the net, and good things happen. Now, if you're Pavelski, maybe good things didn't necessarily happen to you. I guess you did get a goal. I think he was happy with it. You know, maybe we'll talk to him uh, later on in this series and see what he really has to say. He also missed, I would say, the last couple minutes of that first period. Missed about a minute or so of the second period. because He was getting outfitted for this weird Bane-like mask to cover up his jaw and everything so it didn't get hurt again the rest of that game so it's an interesting slightly intimidating look for him i thought it worked he said uh pavelski said there's a couple stitches uh, a couple teeth are gone we'll try to get them fixed and see how they feel tomorrow was asked if it was broken uh he said as far as the jaw and stuff i don't think so it's sore that's for sure you would expect that it's sore uh it looked very very painful out there but again you'll do a lot for a playoff goal Hockey players are pretty tough dudes and who also have good dentists. That dentist is going to have a lot of work soon. Uh, do, you, do you think there's somebody on call at midnight in San Jose? No, but I mean, like, he's probably got a guy, you know. That'll just come meet him somewhere? And I meant, like, more like, we'll take care of this after the playoffs are over. Because, you know, you never know what other damage they're going to get. Can you wait that long to get teeth? I have no idea. I feel like that's something you have to get done right away. Maybe this is a story we should explore in the offseason. So. He said, I'll get them fixed and see how they feel tomorrow. I think he's getting it done tonight. I think that's the so He's plan. got an on-call. Go go to this on-call dentist in San Jose. He's going to go up to Joe Pavelski's house. No, we. Uh, he might have to meet. Maybe he comes to the arena and does it. I think that's probably works. We will try to find out uh, we'll later do some on. digging. Yeah, we will definitely uh, do that when they're here in Vegas. But I mean, in Vegas, I, I'm sure there's many 24-hour dentists around. Uh, we could probably find one. Maybe no story on that. San Jose, it's a little sleepier at night. I don't know that there's necessarily, but uh, we'll definitely try to find that out. But again, uh, in the playoffs, I think he'll take it for a goal. And, and he'll, he did that. And then the Sharks came out, put up two quick ones in the, in the second period. That's where the game really turned because I thought the Sharks were in control anyway, but then the scoreboard reflected it. They go up 3 nothing. The Knights answered quickly to make it 3-1, but the, the damage had been done. Once it was 3 nothing, it was a huge uphill battle for the Knights. Yeah, it's one of those where you don't want to use the cliche, but once the Sharks went up 2 nothing, you want to say, okay, the next goal is the most important goal. You want to see if the Knights can actually get back into this game, get it to 2-1, get a little momentum. And then almost right away, the Sharks made it 3 nothing. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's also a cliche. The two-goal lead is the most dangerous lead in hockey. And so the Sharks just said, yeah, let's make it three goals. Yeah. That's fine. And then Mark Stone answers to cut it to two again, makes it 3-1, uh, Sharks lead. And then right before the end of the second period, Eric Carlson sends a shot towards the net. Evander Kane deflects it past Marc-Andre Fleury with about 17 seconds left before the two teams go into the locker room. The Sharks retake a three-goal lead. I think that was an absolute killer for the Knights that it wasn't your best period, but you're going to go into the locker room still thinking, hey, we got to bring our A game, but we still got a chance in this game. A three-goal lead, especially when you just have given up a deflating goal, is tough to overcome in the playoffs. And that was a really impressive goal. And I think what it really did is showed how good Eric Carlson is when he is, you know, impacting the game, when he's out there, when he's involved. Uh, you know, he missed a lot of time, and the Sharks struggled without him. They, they were 
you know, they found it difficult to put up wins, uh, do anything in the you know the last month and a half of the season. Uh, they fell out of the of the race for the top spot in the Pacific Division, uh, and, and largely because he wasn't playing for long stretches. You saw how good he was on that play. Tomas Hurdle came through in front of the net, kind of held Nick Holden as Holden had to go with him and make sure he couldn't do anything. Evander Kane trailed him through, but I think one of the better parts of that play was Carlson looking him off and looking at Hurdle to draw the defense in that direction and get get Holden to go with him and just open up this huge spot in the middle of the ice uh, for Evander Kane to come through, and then Kane just put it in a perfect spot, redirecting it uh, just inside the post. It was a fantastic play by San Jose. It's exactly how you practice it, and the Knights weren't able to stop it. And I thought, you know, that was a, a little bit of a a troubling trend for the Knights to kind of lose some guys in the defensive zone. Certainly handling the puck in the defensive zone was a real issue throughout the evening. Uh, but there you saw them lose a guy. And, you know, one of the things that was talked about as a big factor in the series is the Knights forwards play high on the Sharks defensemen because they're so good as playmakers. So when Carlson and, and Burns are out there, the Knights want to pressure them, try to force turnovers at the blue line, turn them into breaks and and really get in their face and not let them have room to operate. But when you do that, you clear a lot of space in front of the net, and Evander Kane took advantage of that space. That was too easy. You can't have a guy uh, just driving to the net that wide open to be able to make a play in front of your goaltender. Definitely not. I think that was a big problem for the Knights. And then, of course, after that goal, they come out, and they actually had quite a bit of fight in the third period. And I'm not ta- talking about the penalties they took, but they actually started putting some shots on Martin Jones. They tried to create as much pressure as they could but it was just kind of too little too late so we'll see if they're able to carry some of that momentum heading into a game two a friday night i think it's pretty possible as long as they keep it to five on five hockey because that is the absolute key moving forward is you cannot have a repeat of tonight where you're going to the penalty box that often the final set shows they had 34 penalty minutes that's mainly because ryan reeves and tomas nosik were assessed 10 minute penalties right at the end of the game. So really it was about 14 minutes during, you know, most of the competitive game action for the Knights. That's still too many. You can't take that many penalties, especially on the road in a playoff atmosphere and expect to win against a really talented team. Let's uh let's look at that game too coming up Friday night just for you know I was going to say 48 hours it's actually about what 44 hours from right now nailed it uh, as we're as recording this uh so heading into game 2 certainly the Knights will want to do a whole lot differently we talked about what they'll want to do differently as a team but I think Gerard Gallant and his staff have some decisions to make between now and then we saw them make the decision tonight they have seven defensemen they ha- they can only play six and one of the things he talked about after the game was Hey, got 23 guys on the roster. Only 20 can play. Somebody has to sit. The decision of the defenseman was made to sit Colin Miller tonight. Uh, Certainly his salary would indicate that he would not be watching a playoff game from the press box as a healthy player, Uh, but that was the decision they made. I expect him to be back in the lineup on Friday. Uh, I'll I'll get your thoughts on it, but it's basically between Merrill, Holden, Miller. Only two can play. Uh, I thought that it would be Merrill, and Miller playing together as the third defensive pairing because the numbers kind of bear out that of of those of the combinations you can put together with those three guys, that has been the best one. But it's not the decision they made tonight. It's not solely, uh, you know, the, that pairing is not solely responsible for the loss, but it didn't work very well. And the defensemen in general were very careless with the, with the puck tonight, and that cost them on several occasions. Uh, do you think any changes are made among the defensemen? Yeah, I think they're going to put Colin Miller back in. And I think the guy that you have to look at right now is Nick Holden. 
I don't think had his best game tonight. He was minus two out there. He took a slashing penalty that was absolutely deserved. It was not a good play by him. He had three giveaways, and that's, I think, what's really concerning if you're the Knights coaching staff is you can't give the San Jose Sharks the puck. You can't give a very talented team extra opportunities, especially when those giveaways come in your defensive zone. So you've got to be very careful managing the puck against this team. You've got to limit their opportunities in transition, which giveaways can create. And so that's why I would expect maybe him to be the guy that ends up sitting in the press box next game. But you never know. We'll end up seeing what they have to do. We'll also see if they want to swap out Tomas Nosek tonight. I was actually kind of surprised that he was the guy that ended up being put in there. They've got another defensive guy who's also good on the penalty kill, kind of like Nosek, in Ryan Carpenter. So they could make that swap. Or if they want a more offensive player in there, you've got Brandon Peary who could give you some secondary scoring. He's got a good shot, and so if you could get him to create some offense on your third line, that could be something I could see them trying to find too. Yeah, I mean, those are the two spots that are really up for grabs for the most part, so we'll see what they do there. I really thought it was going to be Carpenter. Uh, you know, not based on practice, because in practice it didn't look like Carpenter was going to be the guy. But I thought, you know, a week ago, if you would have asked me what the lineup was, I thought it would be Carpenter just because we know what kind of belief uh, Gerard Grant has in him uh, and loves him as a player. I thought he might be the one to get the call. He wasn't. Uh, they did go with Nosek. We'll see if they go offense with Peary or, uh, you know, more of a defensive-minded guy in Carpenter who can create offense at times and a guy who has a history of San Jose as well, uh, having played there before. That's a decision. But I think the defense position is the big one because it was such an issue tonight and you know I don't want to single out Holden I mean I don't think he played a very good game at all and I think he will go uh, to the press box and watch the game uh, in game two and and, in place of uh, Colin Miller but he wasn't alone I mean no far from the only Nate Smith's not going to be benched and he shouldn't be but he was not good he had a a very tough game tonight Uh, I thought he was you know he was a step slow uh, which is surprising for somebody that's so fast out there, uh, trailing guys. I thought he was slow to react on a couple of occasions, and I thought uh, certainly uh, there were some issues with him uh, defensively. And and you know you can't have that at this time of year. And I I've thought for a while, you know, Derek England brings a great veteran presence to the team. There's no question. There's a lot of good things he does as a physical presence and everything else. But he's been a step slow for uh, I'd say the whole year. But I mean, he's been even a step slower. I think down the stretch. So. It's not just Nick Holden's fault defensively, but he, he I think, is the most likely guy uh, to come out in favor of Colin Miller for the next game. Yeah, I think that's fair. But yeah, Derek England had a very bad giveaway yeah. in his own zone. It's not. They actually didn't credit that as an official uh, giveaway on the score sheet that I'm looking at here. But he did have a really bad turnover in his yeah. own zone that the Knights were kind of lucky it didn't really lead to a scoring chance. I believe actually Nate Schmidt kind of broke that play up, yeah. took a block in front of Flurry to prevent a scoring chance there. But those are the kind of sloppy mistakes that, like we said, you just can't have against this Sharks team. You need to control the puck. You need to stay out of the penalty box. And I've talked about you need to get some shots on Martin Jones early in this next game, I think, just to test him. And if you can get a goal or two early, try to put some doubt in his head that maybe tonight's performance was more of a fluke and that you can get him to be the goalie that he's been against most teams all year and especially the goalie that he's been against the Golden Knights in the last two years because he's been very bad against them. Uh, Last couple of things before we uh, get out of here for the evening. And again, it's the game one recap. We'll be here with you for every game of the postseason, uh, giving you instant analysis of what is going on uh, in the series with the Golden Knights. So a lot of mistakes on the Golden Knights side. 
a lot of things to clean up for sure, some lineup decisions to be made. Uh, but we can talk quickly, and I, I think this is a combination about the the fact that the Knights for the last you know three weeks to a little bit more than that were really just kind of focusing on getting healthy, getting rested. Uh, not worried about results for a long time. They didn't have any anybody putting pressure on them or they weren't pressuring anybody. The games didn't matter for a while. And they talked about flipping a switch. Certainly was difficult to flip that switch. And that goes the thing that goes along with that is Marc-Andre Fleury, who was injured, missed some time. Malcolm Subban was in there. Fleury kind of away from the team. He comes back, gets two tune-up games before the end of the season, but he wasn't really sharp in either one. Wasn't really sharp tonight. I mean, he didn't have much help. The goals, I don't think you can really blame on I mean, the the... The Burns goal, I thought, uh, was kind of clean. It was on him. Uh, but there was, you know, the Pavelski one was a, off the head. That's a tough one to stop. Uh, there were some fluky plays. The the Kane goal, that's not really on him at all. Uh, but it's the third straight game that Fleury's in there that he gave up four goals. I mean, they gave up in empty netters in two of the last uh, tonight and last game as well. But four goals that he allowed uh, in each of those three games that he's been back. Is there any concern that he's just not quite sharp enough yet uh, to be a a factor in this, or to be you know a deciding factor in a positive way for the Golden Knights right now? I just need to see more from him. I think those last two games, I thought overall he played okay. You know, I don't think he made some really good saves, but I don't think he was quite the Mark Andre Fleury that you know we've kind of come to expect from the Knights. But I thought overall he played you know, pretty fine in those last two games compared to the effort that he was getting in front of him because the Golden Knights skaters really, you could tell, couldn't care less about the outcome of those two games. And then, like you said tonight, like I don't put a ton of blame on him for the performance tonight. It was especially hard because a lot of the goals that they ended up giving up were in odd situations where it was not just on the power play, but four on four, three on three positions where he's having to deal with these skaters or the Sharks having a lot more space to maneuver and shoot around. And of course he's dealing with tips, deflections, one off a guy's face, one off a stick. That was really, really good. And so I think he's been dealing with some pucks coming at him from odd angles that he might not be used to. So I still want to see how he settles into this series, but it definitely is something to watch that flurry didn't have his best game tonight. And Martin Jones ended up having, you know what he will probably term a pretty solid performance from him. Yeah, without a lot, a lot of, you know, he didn't really need to make anything spectacular. He just kind of got to sit back there, get settled into the series. Uh, did want to point out the stats, and uh, uh, there were some people sharing this on Twitter earlier that that is now six straight postseason games for Flurry with a save percentage under 900. That is not great, but of course, those were the five finals games and then tonight. Uh, so you, I think one of the issues with Flurry is that he raised, he has raised expectations incredibly high so that when he doesn't steal you a game and just make you know not, you know 19 unbelievable saves uh, that could have been goals otherwise you start saying oh what's going on there but uh, i think there is at least there's a there's not anybody like screaming in concern yet but there might be a couple whispers of like all right is, is he gonna be okay is he gonna is he gonna get to that level that carried them to the stanley cup final last year i, I think there's at least the, the beginnings of some kind of whispering Maybe it's definitely something to monitor going into game two. A lot of these issues are because, you know, we kind of had mentioned this on a live stream. We did until you lose a home game. You're really not out of a series. That's when it really starts to get concerning when you lose a home game. And of course, these first two are on the road for the night. But for me, even if you lose game two, but you reverse some of these trends we're seeing, that's probably okay. But if these same trends start to crop up where you keep taking penalties, 
you keep not getting to Jones and you see some cracks and kind of flurries armor, that's when you really have to start to be concerned heading back to Las Vegas of what this team is going to do. But we'll end up seeing what happens. Yep. Game two, Friday night, 730. We'll be back with you. The post-game podcast. We'll do a live stream right after the game. So as soon as the game's over, uh, be on your computer, on your phones, whatever, flip on our live stream. You can ask us questions after game two, and we'll see how the Knights are able to bounce back. The goal going into a series when you have two games on the road to start is always to split. Obviously, you want to win them both, but you want to split those first two games. So nothing is really out the door yet for the Golden Knights. The Sharks held serve in game one. The Sharks have to be even more than the result thrilled with how they played and excited. The Knights have a lot to work on. Get back to the drawing board. They'll practice tomorrow and then play on Friday night. And again, we'll be with you after the game, live stream, video recaps, podcasts, everything else. Make sure you follow along with Dave Shane and Ed Graney up in San Jose, uh, providing you great coverage as well. And uh, check that out at ReviewJournal.com. For Ben Goats, Adam Hill, thank you guys all for listening. And again, We'll be with you each and every game, post-game here in the postseason. So check us out, like, subscribe, comment, share. Tell all your friends to check out what we're doing here with the Golden Edge podcast at ReviewJournal.com. So thanks to everyone here, for, to Larry Mir for producing us, staying up late into the wee hours of the morning here in Las Vegas. Uh, we thank him and everyone else here behind the scenes as well on the podcast. But we'll be with you again Friday night from the Review Journal studios with the podcast. Ben Goats, we'll talk to you again soon, sir. Enjoy game two, and then check us out, ReviewJournal.com, The Golden Edge. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.